Good morning. Our reading today is Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me again? Father, we are grateful for your word. Uh, We come to it, and it's passages sometimes that we've read many times before, and we think we know what they mean. We think we know what you're saying to us through them. And we use words that we use all the time, like grace, and we think, again, that we, we know the extent of the meaning of those words. But the fact that we're not stunned speechless, in awe, when we use those words, show that we just don't fully comprehend. So we pray that this morning you would enlarge our understanding of your grace and your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, So I'm going to make a pop culture reference that most people in the first service remembered. I'm curious about how many people in this service will remember But there was a TV show in the 80s. It was one of those kind of family sitcoms called Who's the Boss? Okay, show of hands, who remembers it? Okay. Um, It it was a show about a guy named, well, his name, not his, he wasn't named Ted Danza in the show. He is Ted Danza. That's his real name. Uh, He was an ex-baseball player who went to work in Angela's house. Really, it's not that important that you know the story. Um, But it was a funny TV show. It's not a fun reality to live in if you don't know who your boss is. I remember the very first job I took was at a summer, uh, it was a Christian summer camp, and I didn't know who my boss was. Uh, There was two people who thought they were my boss, and I was torn constantly between the two. Uh, There was the old guy who had run the camp his entire life, basically, but he was now retired. But he kept acting like he was my boss, and then there was his daughter, who had taken over running the camp, who acted like she was my boss, and they often gave me very conflicting messages. So one day, I might be sitting at the pool, I was a lifeguard, and they'd say, okay, shut down the pool for the day. So I'd go about shutting the pool down for the day and pulling the cover over the pool, only to have the other one walk by and say, why are you shutting the pool down? It's not time to go home yet. Open the pool. 
So I'd go back and start pulling the cover off and opening the pool, and the other one would come by and say, hey, why, I, I told you, shut the pool down and go home. It was this constant, you know, back and forth, not knowing who to listen to, not knowing who to go to if you had a question. Uh, it culminated in the worst day of the summer. Uh, I got a call from up at the horse barn saying a 12-year-old girl had pulled a horse over on top of herself. It had reared up, and she had pulled back on the reins, and it toppled over on top of her. And so I go up with the backboard, strap her onto the backboard, gently carry her down to where the ambulance that had been called could meet her, only to have the guy, the old dude, come down, unstrap her, tell her to walk it off, come to find out she had a crushed pelvis, not something you can just walk off. It was a horrible summer, just constantly in this tension of not knowing who to listen to. If you've ever experienced that, then you know part of what Paul is getting at here. You can't serve two masters, but only part. Uh, To understand what Paul is saying, you have to go even further, extend that kind of illustration into two bosses who are diametrically opposed to one another, pulling in direct opposite directions. So imagine, for example, that you're serving on the campaign of, say, Liz Watson and Trey Hollingsworth running against each other. To serve one, you have to be serving against the interest of the other. You're pulling in opposite directions. Or maybe you're serving as the offensive coordinator for the Colts and the defensive coordinator for the Eagles in today's game. You can't do both well. You'll be pulling in opposite directions. Paul is saying here that, that being a slave, it's a total thing. It's not an either or kind of proposition. I'm sorry, it's not a both and kind of proposition. It's an either or. You can't serve two masters. Jesus said it. He said, you'll either love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. And Paul says here, it's an impossibility to serve two. Because you can't serve one unless you've been freed from service to the other. Paul says, since you serve God, you cannot go on being a slave to sin. It is an impossibility. You can't do it. When we read this passage, there's two things I think we need to bear in mind, two things to remember. First, slavery was a part of Paul's world. When we read about being a slave to Christ, that is somewhat off-putting, I think, to us. Slavery was very much a part of Paul's world. It was a different kind of slavery than the images that come to our minds of slave ships and people who were kidnapped from their homelands and forced into bondage. In the Roman Empire, there was two kinds of slaves, essentially. Those who had been captured in war as Rome expanded their empire and those who had voluntarily given themselves up as slaves. That was a real option for people in that day and age. If they were destitute, couldn't feed themselves, couldn't clothe themselves, couldn't shelter themselves, then what they could do is offer themselves up 
to be someone's slave. And they may be involved in doing menial tasks, but maybe they would be an accountant or a tutor. Slavery was was very different, but it was very much a part of Paul's world. Even so, Paul acknowledges in this passage uh, that it's not a perfect illustration for what he's talking about. He almost apologizes for you. He says, I'm speaking in a very human kind of way here. There's parallels between what you experience in slavery and in his churches that he's writing to. Large portions were slaves or had been slaves or possibly even owned slaves. And he's saying there's, there's parallels there, but it's not perfect. I'm speaking in a purely human way here in drawing this analogy. So remember, slavery was a part of Paul's world. Also, got to bear in mind that Paul was addressing real questions from people who were trying to learn to live right side up. Real questions from people who had had their world turned upside down by the gospel. By the gospel of grace. Grace does that. It turns things upside down, and people weren't quite sure how to live now in grace. Some people thought this grace idea and this gospel, good news of Jesus, was really dangerous. They were called legalists. Paul wrestles with kind of their thing in other places. They said, you know what? Grace, dangerous. Give us rules. Give us morals. Give us ethics. Tell us what to do. Grace is dangerous. There were others who said, grace. Grace gives us license to sin. This is great. If grace comes and God is glorified in grace, grace covers our sin, maybe we should sin even more so we can get more grace. So grace can superabound and God can... Get even more glory. Paul says, no, 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 by no means. Well, maybe we should, since we're not under the law, we're under grace. We have no restraints. That's the group Paul is dealing with in this passage. People who thought grace gave them just license to sin because they weren't under law anymore. But he says, no, by no means. They were saying it doesn't matter, we're under grace. Those kind of questions, those kind of attitudes still thrive today. Maybe you hear it differently. Definitely there's legalists who say these are the rules, follow the rules. There's also those who treat the gospel as license. And they might say things like, it doesn't matter what you do, how you live, God loves us all just the same. That's the kind of thing that Paul is wrestling with. Real questions from people who were learning to live right side up. He he addresses that spirit with three premises. Premises. That doesn't sound right. Is that right? Premises? What's the plural of premise? Premises? We'll go with it. Three premises. First, this is what Adam was singing about in the, the offertory. 
Should I out you on who that was? The Dylan song. He rejected my suggestion, which was a Nine Inch Nails song. Um, so it's a good thing, real good thing. You have to serve somebody. We are all slaves to something. Remember, in this section, Paul was dealing, the background is this idea of voluntary slavery, that you offer yourself to something, to someone. Paul says, whatever you offer yourself to, whatever you obey, that's who you serve. That's who you are a slave of. Maybe you're a slave of your possessions. You own, you accumulate, you buy And you're a slave to those things. They possess you more than you possess them. Maybe you're a slave to your ego, to your pride. And maybe you're a slave to your addictions. Maybe you're a slave to your desires. Whatever you serve, whatever you obey, that's what you're a slave to. I remember there was a time in my life where I thought, I'm not going to obey anyone. I'm going to do what I want. So if someone told me, don't buy that car, I went and bought that car. Don't listen to that music, I listened to that music. In essence, I viewed myself as this nonconformist, right? In a very safe, kind of evangelical way. <laughs> but nonconformist. But even in that I was a slave to my nonconformity. Have you ever seen, this is a famous cartoon uh, from the 1960s, 1968, How to Be a Nonconformist in 22 Simple Steps. It's a, a jab at those who would be nonconformists. Nonconformist boys wear their hair long and nonconformist girls wear their hair short. Their bangs are so long that the probability of their having eyes is seriously in question. When shoes are required, nonconformists wear sandals. Caesar types are the best, but you can wear any kind of sandals as long as your toes are cold. Avoid socks. They're the fatal giveaway of a phony nonconformist. And I have seen some of you in sandals and socks, so you're phonies. Nonconformists are cynical and questioning and consistently negative. Nonconformists smile only sarcastic, sardonic smiles. This is a jab at those who would fashion themselves to be nonconformists, pointing out that, in fact, they're conforming. In fact, they're following, they're serving. What you serve, what you obey, is your master. Whether it's your desires, well, Paul makes it simple. There's only two forms of ultimate slavery. Slavery to sin or slavery to God. Whatever you are obeying can ultimately be traced back to one of those two things. You are either ultimately obeying sin or God. So that's premise one. We are all slaves to something. What we obey is our master. Premise two, these two masters lead to two very different ends. This isn't 
a Y in the road where you're going to end up roughly in the same place. This is a T in the road. You're going north or you're going south. Two very different directions. So Paul says, consider. Consider who you're going to offer yourself to. Who you will be a slave of. In verse 21, he says, if you choose to be a slave of sin, it will result in death. He he draws an even more vivid picture in verse 19. He says in verse 19, if you give yourself over to sin, you will be giving yourself over to ever-increasing wickedness. And eventually, it will kill you. The image that came to mind as I was pondering that this week was the image of Gollum from the Lord of the Rings books and movie, movies. There's a lot of them. Gollum was this pitiful, pathetic, gross character. But he didn't start his life like that. He he was a slave to the ring. This ring controlled him and it had degraded him. And de- I was to say dehumanized him, but he was never a human to begin with. He was a, he was a hobbit. The kind, gentle hobbits. His name was Schmeagel or Thor- Throwhold. But as he gave himself over to the ring, the ring exerted its power, enslaved him in ever increasing doses, controlled him, took over him. He was its slave until it eventually claimed him utterly and he dies on Mount Doom. He dies trying to grasp hold and stay, keep the ring. It leads to death. This is the the truth. But our enemy has lied to us since the beginning, since the garden. Satan's chief lie is that sin won't really lead to death. Did God really say, if you eat the apple, you'll die? Don't believe. Don't believe those who tell you sin is innocuous fun. Don't believe those who tell you sin is harmless. Sin is crouching at our door, Scripture says, ready to devour us. Sin would have us. Sin would be our master if we would give ourselves over to it. And sin would kill. Do you want to serve sin? Serving sin leads to death, Paul says. But there's an alternative If we choose instead to become slaves to God, slaves to Christ, it leads to life. It leads to eternal life. Now, you have to get behind the words here to understand really all that Paul is saying. He's not saying if you choose to be a slave to God, he'll let you just keep going on living as you do now, but longer, you know, eternally long. He's saying way more than that. Eternal life is not just about duration, it's about quality. If you would give yourselves over to God and serve Him, you will experience 
life, eternal life, full and abundant life. You give yourself over as a slave to righteousness, which Paul says leads to holiness. Now, if in your mind, the image of holiness brings up images of Puritans and pilgrims and people who looked like they've been sucking on lemons and prune juice and you've got the image way wrong. That's a caricature of holiness. Holiness ought to be and is a beautiful, winsome, attractive thing. Replace the images of the Puritans and the, I like the Puritans, kind of, but replace those images. They don't look so good. Replace those images with the pure, true image of holiness, Jesus Christ, who lived beautifully, who lived in submission to his Father, who lived in love for God and love for others. A beautiful, winsome, attractive life. That's holiness. When we give ourselves over as a slave to righteousness, we attain holiness and eternal life. That song that I mentioned that I had recommended to Adam and he rejected, he should have, trust me, says famously in the, the, the chorus, bow down before the one you'll, you serve, you're going to get what you deserve. It's a really dark song. That's true, partly. That doesn't fully summarize what Paul is saying here. He does say the wages of sin is death. If you give yourself over to sin, you will get what you deserve. But as we're reading that, the next part, logically in our minds, would be the wages of righteousness is eternal life. But that is not what Paul says. The wages of sin is death, he says. But the gift of God is eternal life. Our righteousness, our holiness, they don't earn it. We don't get eternal life as a wage. It's the gift of God. That's premise two. Premise three. Having become a slave to Christ, we have been set free from every other form of slavery. You cannot be a slave of two masters. So, Christ set us free from slavery to sin and the law and death. Paul doesn't use the word redeemed here, but it's the image that stands behind his words. We've been redeemed, purchased back. Some have said that redeemed is the most precious word in the Christian vocabulary. We've been bought at a price. And so we are now slaves of Christ, but freed from slavery to sin. Freed from slavery to self. Maybe you're thinking, Dan, it doesn't feel like that often. I fall into, and this is me too, right? Fall into the same ruts, uh, the same traps, the same sins. Sometimes it doesn't feel like I've been set free at all. 
But let me ask you to do something really hard. When it doesn't feel like you've been set free, let your head lead your heart. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of what God has said. Sin will not be your master. That's not a command, it's a promise. Sin will not be your master. You have been set free. The Apostle John understood that it doesn't often feel that way. And so he said, when our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Those are three truths that Paul uses to push back on those who say, grace, great. We're not under law anymore. Then we can sin. No, no, no. If you give yourself over to sin, then it shows you're still a slave to sin. But you, Christian, you've been set free. That's orthodoxy. That's true statements about theology. How do you transition from orthodoxy to orthopraxy? How do you put this into practice? First, simply choose Christ. Choose Christ. Scripture consistently puts out two ways before us and says, choose. The book of Deuteronomy, the author says, I'm putting before you life and death, prosperity and devastation. Choose life. Paul could use that same language here. I'm putting before you two masters, one who will torture and maim and kill. And one who says, come to me, all you who are weary. Come and take my yoke, it's easy. Come and take my burden, it's light. And I will lead you to eternal life. Choose Christ. Don't just rely on the fact that you chose him 10, 20, 5 years ago. Choose him today. Wake up tomorrow and choose him tomorrow. Offer yourself over again the slavery to righteousness to Christ. Choose Christ. Second, thank God for your freedom. I love Paul. Paul is not a dry, boring theologian. He he lets his theology get into his bones. He'll be writing this deep, profound, sometimes very abstract stuff, and then he just breaks out in praise, breaks out in worship, breaks out in thanksgiving. He does it here in this passage. He says, but thanks be to God. Once you were slaves, uh, but now you've been set free. We thank God for that because it wasn't of our own doing. We didn't work off our debt. We didn't pay for our freedom. We didn't redeem ourselves. He stepped in. Did what we couldn't do. Paid the price that we would never pay. And it wasn't cheap. He gave his son as the price for our redemption. Thanks be to God we've been set free. I I love the song, I'll Fly Away. 
There's a line in there that talks about our prison shackles being released, those cold iron shackles. Imagine your life if you lived it in cold iron shackles in the day that you were released. The joy, the exuberance. Thanks be to God, he set us free. Lastly, grow in obedience to righteousness. Grow in obedience to righteousness. Paul says we're we're slaves to obedience. Grow in that. Grow in it. Maybe you say, well, I thought the whole Christian life was about about faith and belief, and, and it is. But faith expresses itself in obedience. Faith, uh, obedience is the language faith uses to express itself. Uh, consider Abraham, who is, according to Scripture, the father of all who believe. He's kind of the, the pillar of what it means to be a man of faith. He expressed his faith, his belief in God, by obeying. When God says, leave your, ha- leave your land, leave your family, Abraham believed and he left. When God said, circumcise all that are in your camp as a sign of the covenant, Abraham believed and he obeyed. When God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, to Mount Moriah and offer him to me there, Abraham believed and he obeyed. We're told in Scripture that Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness, but it wasn't a bare faith. It was a faith that came with obedience. Trust and obey. Uh, The transfer that we've experienced, the transfer from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness, it's a definitive break, a clean break. But it's also dynamic. What do I mean by that? I mean, we aren't slaves to sin anymore. But that's a habit we have to break. Have you ever run into, say, an old elementary school teacher? Maybe 20 years after you had him in school, and you're still tempted to call them Mr. Barna. He says, no, 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 don't call me Mr. Barna, call me Fred. And you can't do it? Because the pattern of kind of authority And submission was so ingrained in you, that's Mr. Barna, that's not Fred. It takes a long time to to break that habit. That's what happens in our Christian life. The authority of sin over us has been broken. That doesn't mean we can't sin, it doesn't mean we won't sin, but it doesn't have authority. It's not our master. Yet sometimes we still treat it like it does. We have to learn the habit of submitting ourselves to obedience, of giving ourselves over to Christ and righteousness. How do we do it? By practice. By practice. By consistently doing it. Time and time again. So Paul says, just as you used to offer yourself, the members of your body in another place, as objects of wickedness and impurity, Now offer them as objects of holiness and righteousness. The mouth that you used to use to to curse and blaspheme and gossip, now use it to encourage and build up and praise. 
the hands that you used to use to grab and to cling and to steal and to be greedy with, now use them to give away and to serve and to lift up holy hands in prayer. Practice. Grow in obedience to righteousness. The question that Paul began this passage with was, so shall we sin because we aren't under the law? No. By no means. Because you're no longer slaves to sin. You've been set free. Those living right side up know better. Know that there is a better way to live than indulging sin. It's giving ourselves up to righteousness and holiness in Christ. For in that we find eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the the realism in your word. That though we've been set free from sin, we still struggle to know how to be free free from it and its mastery. You remind us that we were bought at a price. We have been fret, set free and serve another. Father, would you make that a, that a reality in our life even today? In Jesus' name, amen.